you can't rewire emotional responses that you're not intentionally triggering. If you're constantly avoiding or calling safe space and not wanting to ever be triggered and just going into avoidance or, you know, I see this on Instagram all the time. People are like cutting toxic people out of my life. Well, it's like, okay, how do you know that that's the toxic person and that you guys aren't just involved in a toxic cycle? right? Often it's not just that there's a toxic person in the relationship. You guys are both involved in toxicity to some degree. So you might cut them out, but then you're going to invite the same type of person into your life shortly afterward. So it's important to remember that we can't run or hide or avoid our triggering environments. We will never grow that way. We will never rewire our emotional responses and we'll never, we'll never actually be able to repattern ourselves to exist in the world without being triggered. So if you genuinely want to stop being triggered so damn much, you need to create a very solid action plan and structure with which to rapidly trigger yourself with an action plan so that you can actually rewire everything. I'm Doug Bobst personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today I have a very special treat for you as I have one of the world's top personal development and wellness experts. Busy Gold is on the show today, and Busy has appeared on Dr. Oz. She's been on Today, Entertainment, Extra Home and Family, and many other major media outlets to discuss her unique approach to sustainable transformation that has garnered widespread Hollywood praise. Some of her past clients have included Jennifer Love Hewitt, Julia Roberts, just to name a few. Gold's off-the-cuff humor and focus on diligent accountability helps clients achieve striking breakthroughs in record time. An industry disruptor to the core, Gold is bulldozing the model of coaching that financially preys on countless people across the globe, replacing it with a sustainable model that puts the client's swift breakthrough at the forefront of all sessions. She is the founder of The Break Method, which is a structured self-inquiry program that uses scientific processes to evaluate your belief systems, uncover your emotional addiction patterns and triggers while rapidly rewiring them with logical tools rooted in cold, hard neuroscience. And actually, you know, Busy has been so generous to give a discount for all the Adversity Advantage listeners to her next semester, which starts August 15th. So all you have to do is when you go to breakmethod.com, you go and check out and type in the code ADVERSITY20. Again, it's ADVERSITY20 and you'll save 20%. So I'm actually going to be doing the course myself. So make sure you go ahead and check it out and sign up if it interests you. Busy Gold, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. That was a mouthful. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) And um, like I said before we recorded, you should be so proud of yourself for everything that you have accomplished. One thing I want to know is how the heck did you go from that moment where you nearly lost your daughter, right? And your then husband kind of brought her back to life. And then that in itself is traumatic. And then your husband commits suicide. And those few years obviously were extremely hard for you to come back. And then you build Booty Yoga, which is probably one of the largest yoga brands in the world. How the heck did you do that? 
Well, um, as it's aptly titled in the name of your podcast, I'm pretty damn good at pushing through adversity. So I think there are a lot of factors there. A lot of what we teach in Break Method is essentially how to uncover what your brain's operating script is and how that operating script essentially skews your perspective on reality and dictates all of your behavior, labeling, communication, all of the choices that you make. And while a lot of terrible things happened to me in my childhood, one of the outcomes that I did have that was really positive is that I always knew who I was. I was never afraid to express myself. My parents did a lot to instill confidence and teach me how to accurately measure what I was doing in the world and was it good enough or did I have to push harder, which I think is one of the things that holds people back a lot when they're having trouble pushing through adversity. It comes back to their parents not actually raising them in a way that taught them how to accurately measure and self-reflect on their own effort or achievement. Whereas in my family, I had a lot of other things go wrong and I had, I would say my issues probably affected me more with relationships and vulnerability rather than performance and being able to believe in myself. So from my childhood, I ended up coming out of it, obviously, like I said, maybe more closed off in intimate or personal relationships, but very much a go-getter and confident and not questioning who I was in the world and what I was capable of. That never crossed my mind. So when things obviously went incredibly wrong, I obviously was dealing with a lot of trauma, both physical and emotional. I was a new mom. There were a lot of things that were up in the air, but at the end of the day, my operating script was that I didn't trust anybody else, but I trusted myself. So when you have that operating script, obviously it's challenging to build relationships. And that was something that I really had to work on as I got older. But in terms of being able to rise to the occasion and problem solve and try to remain calm, that was something that I've just always excelled at. So navigating through that was obviously challenging, but I found and I always do find that when things go terribly wrong, I actually get really motivated and I get some of my best ideas. Whenever I've taught business workshops, I, I share some of my kind of like highest highs and lowest lows. And I've definitely made some, some decisions on purpose that went terribly wrong. And I've had some things happen to me that were out of my control that went terribly wrong that made me lose a lot of money or have a real estate deal go, you know, completely upside down. Um, all of these things, when they go really, really bad, that tends to be when my brain kicks in with some of my best creativity. And it's almost like this part of my brain that was so used to trying to problem solve in childhood just kind of comes forward with all these ideas. And in many ways, a lot of the things that have gone wrong in my businesses or in my life have become the very things that have forced me to think outside of the box and pivot and create a lot of what I have today. So, you know, like we've talked about in the name of the podcast itself, if you can learn how to remain calm and think clearly when you're facing adversity or dealing with an obstacle, that is when you can absolutely dig deep and find the best version of yourself, grow a ton and find new creativity that you wouldn't find if you were living some sort of complacent, repetitive life. I love that. And I love your view on adversity. And we're going to get so much more into that and how your approach is fascinating, just how you take the logical approach, how you, you know, erase the victim mentality, how you rewire the subconscious. That's all super fascinating. So going back into that moment and then, you know, building booty yoga, 
Um, I know booty, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's means something like looking within or internal, right? Yeah. So it's an Indian Marathi word that means the cure to something hidden away or kept secret. And the whole idea behind it is that in especially our very westernized tech driven world, we're intently focused on seeking outside of ourselves to find some sort of cure or trick or gadget or hack to make our lives better when the truth is resolving and tapping into what lies already within ourselves is usually the best and most sustainable cure. And I think based on how consumer driven our society is, of course, everyone wants to make the gadget or the app. But the truth is that those things are rarely sustainable and they never usually give you the the actual deep self-discovery result that needs to happen for you to be able to turn something from an attempt into a long-term habit. And I think when it comes to especially like fitness or yoga or any sort of self-discovery practice, adopting something into a long-term lifestyle is the most critical aspect of it. And like I said, when it comes to something outside of yourself, it's really easy to be like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that app today, or I don't want to track my results today. But when it's something that you're feeling and tracking something that's inside of yourself that you are tangibly aware of, it becomes hard to run from it. So in Booty, we really teach people how to take a mental, physical, emotional, spiritual inventory and track what's happening in their own body as they're progressing and allow that to be what keeps propelling them forward and help turn it from that like kind of short-term habit into a lifestyle. That's awesome. So it's kind of its own unique modality of yoga. Um, ironically, I was halfway through my 500-hour teacher training Um you know, years ago for yoga and kind of just ended up like, I just got so overwhelmed with other things with work that I just was like, had to, came to a point where I was like, all right, am I really going to go full force with this thing? Or am I going to focus on training? And I think I just wrote my first book and all those things. Um, so I know the, the amount of attention to detail and dedication it takes to build not only a yoga practice, but you've built your own brand where you have, I think you have what thousands of instructors like around the world, right? Yeah. Over 6,000. Yeah. It's taught in at least 27 countries, but I think it's probably more like 35 countries now. That's freaking amazing. And what I love about what about your story is very similar to mine in the sense that you've used, you've used moments of adversity to not only bounce back for yourself, but to bounce back and help other people bounce back from their adversity. Right. So you look at what you created with yoga that I'm sure was very soothing and healing, from the traumatic experiences you went through, not only as a child, as a, as a child, but what you, everything you went through with your daughter and your then husband. Right. And then you have pretty much learned how to rewire your own subconscious, change your limiting beliefs, get rid of the victim mentality and rise above the fire. And now you've created this break method to kind of help other people, you know, do the same thing. So what I want to ask is, you know, you, we, you hear a lot about the subconscious, right? You hear a lot about patterns and you're like, oh, and I, and you hear a lot of people say, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I was raised. That's who I am. I can't change. I know you think that's bullshit. So talk about like, yeah, your- it's one, it's actually Joe knows this, who I think, you know, he knows yeah. that that's like one of my biggest pet peeves. In fact, our most recent ad campaign, I went pretty hard on, I'm just a Gemini. I'm just, that's just the way I am. My family's always been like this. It's 
your the way that your personality is expressed and how you show up in the world is not the static thing that we've been programmed to think that it is that's in fact one of the ways that we just get stuck and keep repeating this generational trauma i don't think people and you know some of it might be based on access some of it might be based on stigma some of it might be based on the fact that hey i spent years as a child against my will in talk therapy and genuinely had no result from it whatsoever, except I basically sat there and learned how to analyze my therapist and think of all the reasons why she shouldn't be in the chair across from me, right? So I think based on all of those things, there hasn't really been, especially, you know, let's say I was born in 85, let's say probably to like 85 to maybe early 2000s, there weren't a ton of advances into the alternatives to talk therapy, right? There was basically just talk therapy. Then we started to see some new emerging techniques like EMDR and tapping and EFT, right? Where people actually started to say like, okay, there's something about this model that isn't working. So people started to push push the envelope and see what else we could do to help tap into a different layer of healing than simply sitting there and being asked about your story and answering your story with questions that are already infused with all of your imbalanced patterns and all of your what we call and break source belief patterns so really even in answering the question to a talk therapist unless that talk therapist understands a lot of what we do and break which i've worked with plenty that do but it's not common knowledge they don't necessarily work with subconscious traumatic patterning they really focus on trying to help the patient with, you know, and I get it, practical little things that they can do. Like, why don't you try this with your partner? Like, why don't you try this technique before you go to bed? Those things are, they're band-aids. They're not long-term rapid healing modalities that actually get all the way to the root, repattern the entire system, and then give the person some space to actually have decreased mental chatter where all of a sudden now when they hear that thought creep in because they wouldn't have heard it before because there's so much mental chatter now that they've kind of calmed that aspect of their subconscious when they hear that intrusive thought come in they're like you're bullshit i'm not gonna what right you already have it mapped out and you're like i already knew that my brain was gonna do this when i tried to do this so now you look at it and you're like i call bullshit it's literally like playing a card game and once you can learn how to actually catch those thought directives or intrusive thoughts that are coming in, then you can really go that last final layer to completely change who you are while still authentically being yourself. This is one of the things that I find people bump into a lot, especially because what we refer to ours as is emotional repack. People, especially nowadays are, and rightfully so, because emotions are important, but there's definitely this like heart-centered emotions are so important. It's important to be vulnerable and authentically express yourself. And these things are all true. However, the subconscious brain patterns that we're referring to get anchored in usually between ages two and five when you're a child. And what happens is we keep re recreating these usually three cycle emotional addiction patterns. And we grow up thinking like, I'm just a crier or I'm just an angry person or that's just how I express myself. When really it's not actually that way, your brain is looping that pattern and you're responding based on autopilot rather than necessarily responding to only the present moment stimuli. So most people don't even realize that they're doing this, which is why it's triggering so many arguments out in their world or triggering them to feel misunderstood or not accepted. 
because they don't really realize that subconsciously their brain's just kicking in this pattern and that they're not really reacting to the present. They're reacting to the past lens looking at the present, which is always going to lead to self-sabotage, feeling misunderstood, having chaotic relationships, like wanting to go for something, but then not being able to commit to actually going after it. Once you actually establish what the subconscious pattern is, you rewire it and then you start to address the present moment behavior. In Break Method, we do a deep dive on the expression of your personality. We break down each relationship. And in the terminology that we use, we kind of do refer to them as red ice cream cones and green ice cream cones what are the parts of your body language or voice tone or way that you select a time to have a certain conversation that actually serves as that triggering device to kick the cycle into that chaotic pattern we address all these things so that you can actually lead a completely different life while still being the authentic version of yourself And I think a lot of people don't realize that they're not being the authentic version of themselves because they're just equating authentic version with how I've always been. But what if the person that you actually were meant to be got stifled and disciplined and shut down and rejected when you were little? So you've actually just adapted to be a slightly different, more vanilla version or people pleasing version or extra loud because fuck it, you don't care anyways, right? All of these different things happen as you age and then you just keep reinforcing it over and over again. But what if who you, honestly, we do an exercise where the truest way to tell who you really are at your core is to figure out what you wanted to be when you were about three years old. Mm. There's so many different things you can extract from that. And then usually we'll do, what did you want to be when you were three? What did you want to be when you were 12 in middle school? And then what did you want to be when you were about 19, 20? You can start to see the trajectory of how the brain was desiring a certain type of thing. Like, you know, if they wanted to be an actress and you could see that there was a lot of rough disciplinary styles and constantly getting disciplined for something they were doing. It's like, obviously the, the brain's kick up of, maybe I'll be an actress is like they're already learning how to people please and keep adapting into these different roles so their brain's like we're already really good at that so why don't we become an actress versus you can see the the child that's three years old that wants to be a firefighter I wanted to be Debbie Gibson she was an 80s singer I really Mm -hmm. wanted to be a professional singer did I really sing no but I loved the idea even at three of being on stage like holding the attention of a crowd did I become Debbie Gibson Kind of different version. No. What did you want to be? What did you want to be when you were three? I was actually thinking of that when you were saying that. I'm like, I felt, I felt like I wanted to be like an astronaut. Does that make me like a like a space cadet? I don't know. I'm just, I'm half kidding. But like, I, that was like what no, I wanted not to be. So it doesn't. That does fit. So sometimes, and it, I'm a dreamer. Be, so maybe that there fits. would be other questions that go in line with that too for me to really figure it out. But sometimes that would be the desire to kind of explore known or kind of feeling safe amidst chaos where it's like, well, there's all these unknowns and I already feel like I'm good at dealing with the unknowns. So I want to go explore space. So there's a lot of different aspects that could be involved in that, but it's probably more like feeling comfortable exploring the unknown, even as a little kid. Yeah. And I'm always one that that'll try something. And then I'll just, I I never, I'm now, I feel like I'm limitless in a way, but just because of Mm -hmm you know, who I am and some of the things I've accomplished and even my own, the mindset is like, I feel like, okay, like I've accomplished this, what's next, what's next. And when I hear people say, it's just who I am, I always call bullshit because I look at myself as a kid. I grew up in a very toxic home. My parents got divorced when I was five. There's a lot of chaos, a lot of abuse. 
And I was, there, was a, there was a lot of anger, right? And that led to my drug addiction. That led to me being incarcerated. And if, if I hadn't changed my patterns, changed the way I talked to myself, changed the way I talked to other people, catching myself in that habit trigger loop, you know, yep. then I would still be that same person. And it takes a lot of time. And that's the thing. People are impatient. They don't, they think because yeah, they like, oh, they're like, oh, well, I've, I've been this way for 25 years. So it must be fixed in three days. Like, no, you've been doing these patterns for 25 years. So it's not going to be fixed in three days. So, you know, one of the things I know you do is this thing. I think it's called direct storytelling. Correct me if I'm wrong. Direct, yeah, direct. Telling. It's one of the tools that we use. Right. So I, we, I've kind of heard a lot of like the what, like rewiring your subconscious, going back into your childhood, going back into patterns. If you were to like, just give me, maybe you could use me as a case study if you wanted to, like a couple things you would have somebody who, let's just say, I mean, that they, they've come to you and they're having trouble with procrastination. They're having trouble seeing things through. They're having trouble staying com- committed to their dreams and they're just blaming that that's just the way I am. Like what kind of things would you have them do? So the format that we teach in Break Method is incredibly structured. So I would tell you, so the best way to explain it to both you and anyone listening, if you kind of pull out your perspective and imagine that you're almost looking down has that hopefully everyone's seen this where you kind of look at like a rat experiment where there's like a different maze and you're kind of looking at it like you can tell that the rat is trapped in the box but they're in the maze and they don't really know what's going on right they don't it's a closed container experiment they're just being driven to do different things inside of the box so essentially what we do in in break is turn you into a rat no that's not (laughs) what we do but what we do is we create this highly structured environment with different exercises and lectures and tools that you use that force you to go everyone goes through the same process and will inevitably bump up against the same intentional walls or obstacles that we put there on purpose so that we can actually trigger you intentionally and test how you respond to all the different triggers so that as soon as you respond to the trigger we teach you how to actually map that out. And then you go into the next lecture, which, which explains, oh, hey, you felt that. That fucking hurt, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look at this page. And then let's figure out why that hurt in this mm. way for you. So we create this container that does not allow for you to bullshit. It doesn't allow for you to lean into learned helplessness. It does not allow for you to get fixated on your story and want somebody to co-sign your story or hold mm. your hand. To complete the four-month break course, you have to be a badass by the time you graduate. And I've dealt with plenty of people that in the first two to three weeks, they constantly want to be, I mean, nowadays I feel like it's referred to as a Karen. It's like, um, this direction's not here and I, I just think I'm missing something here. It's like, no, you're not being triggered. Tell me what's happening in your brain right now because I'm triggering you on purpose. Right. And I tell people that in the very beginning that when they first start, the very first thing that they get is called their tough love letter. And I explained to them that there are going to be plenty of moments throughout this structured container that they're either going to want to fight me, um, tell me that I'm wrong, quit, but that no matter what, we're not going to let them quit and we're going to make sure that they cross the finish line because they just paid us a decent sum of money. So this happened to virtually everybody. I've literally, in in in-person courses, I've literally had somebody that finally got to the real answer and I could tell 
it. It was the real answer, but she couldn't handle it. She crumpled up her paper, threw it in my face and told me to go fuck myself. And it's like, it's okay. I'll see you in a few hours. <laughs> Poke <laughs> right. that out for a second. Yeah. Um, so I think really what, what makes it work is that it's a variety of different tools and a container that's built to be a fail safe to make sure that you don't bullshit your facilitator and you can't bullshit yourself. And no yeah. matter what, you're going to come out of it knowing everything about yourself, even when it's the stuff that you're trying not to address yourself. Because for most people, the hardest part, and it usually there's, it's a four unit course, usually somewhere in the middle of unit two, I jokingly refer to it as the I'm the asshole moment where it's, they've been spending so much time placing blame and saying like, oh, it's because of my daddy issues or it's because my mom was a bitch or whatever. And then they finally get to unit two. And there's usually a moment where it's like the face palm, like I'm the asshole. I get it now. I see how I'm actually, but I'm pulling the puppet strings. You're the, you're the, you're the common denominator, right? You look at all these yeah. other problems. Like your, your job's not working out. Your relationship's not working out. You're having trouble with your finances. Like you're the common denominator, right? And I think it's yeah. hard to hear because but also like the positive thing is if we're the problem, we're also the solution. And I so resonate with everything you just said um, about getting to the root of the problem, not being a victim because I was a victim even through most of, not most of my life. I mean, up until I got to jail when I was 21. And I remember my cellmate, who's the one who got me to start exercising, which then, you know, saved my life. And now I'm a trainer. I've been a trainer for now for almost a decade you know, I remember being like, oh, it's my parents' fault. It's these kids who bullied me. It's these girls, this, that, and the other. And he looked at me and he said, dude, quit being a bitch. And uh, this is back in 2008. Again, every yeah. time I say this, I, I, I preface this because, you know, I'm not trying to, to offend anybody, but I'm in jail and this is what, what really resonated with me. He said, quit being a bitch. And I was like, huh? And I'm like, you're blaming everybody for your problems. He was like, you got yourself in jail. Whether you like it or not, you're here. You made some choices that landed yourself here. He's like, you can go be a bitch and go cry in the corner and blame everybody else. Say, what was me? Feel sorry for yourself. He's like, where'd that get you? And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, let's see, I've had 21 jobs. I'm in debt to my family, like 10 grand. Uh, I was got addicted to drugs. I pissed a lot of people, like got me nowhere. And he's like, or you can be a man and look yourself in the mirror and say, it's up to you to make the decisions to get better. And while that wasn't what I wanted to hear, because nobody likes to hear that. I mean, actually, take that back. Now I like hearing stuff like that because I like hearing the yeah, hard but truth. But when you're in that moment, yeah, it just it like, feels like somebody just handed you a big plate of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. no, no, I'm, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm going like to a lot of work. I'm like, uh, nurse, medic, how do I get out of this jail cell? <laughs> you know, like, um, but all kidding aside, and that was like the first moment. And then he got me to start working out. And I remember I was one time to go do a push-up busy and I couldn't do a push-up. And I was, you know, 50 pounds heavier than I am now. And he looked at me and I was like, why can't I do a push-up? He's like, because you're fucking fat. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, what do you want me to tell you? He's like, we're, we're, we're in jail, Doug. This isn't, you know, church. You're fat. I like, I like this guy. Right? Yeah. And, but what it taught me is it taught me to look myself in the mirror and say that, I'm 100% responsible for who I am. I'm 100% responsible for the choices and decisions I make. And the more people blame other people and say it's this fault and it's this fault and they play into that story and they feel sorry for themselves because it's, it's an addiction. Being the victim can be addicting because then you feel inside that it's not your fault, even though a lot of people are looking at you being like, you're being a victim. They might not want to tell you, but that's just what the, what the outside sees. And it, and it got, honestly gets you nowhere because you're relinquishing control and responsibility onto somebody else for the way you act. And 
you have to address the root and build a foundation on how you deal with your problems because the problems don't go away. People ask me all the time. They're like, oh, well, how do you, now that you're successful and you don't use drugs, like, I guess you have no stress. Like, are you kidding me? I have more stress. Like, more, I, more stress. I mean, I mean, between yeah, with, with personal responsibility comes right. And it's like, but it's how I deal with it is different. Fitness, meditation, having a strong group of, of a strong community, you know, gratitude, all these things that I'm now able to self soothe without like thinking about using drugs to do that. And I think that there's no better, there was no better time for me. And I got lucky, I guess, in a way that I had to figure all this out when I was going through adversity. Like I wasn't like, life wasn't good. And I wasn't like, you know, posting memes in my Instagram. And I wasn't like practicing gratitude when like life was perfect. Like I was below ground at this point. And so I really respect your approach to it because I think it's what's missing from a lot of personal growth and personal development, because I think a lot of personal development is sugarcoated. Well, they're afraid to trigger people and they're afraid to trigger people because we live in a world that's not only so happy, but is also full of cancel culture, right? So nobody wants the student that's going to be like, you know, they told me this and they told me that my problems didn't matter where it's like, okay, that's why I record everything I do because I've had this happen to me a couple of times where I'm like, all right, let's roll back the tape because <laughs> I know that that's what you heard me say, but let's actually go back and listen to what I really just said. Because these source belief patterns genuinely will skew your perception of reality so much that it can actually make you hear things that are not actually being said. Yes. So that kind of goes back to the structure because I will tell people that I'll be like, okay, as we're in the argument, on a live recorded group, I'll be like, okay, I want you to go take five and I want you to go back and listen to this recording when you're feeling calm because you're going to hear exactly the moment that you did the thing that I just told you you did that you told me you didn't do. And they're like, okay. And then they come back a day later. They're like, holy shit, I really didn't experience it that way. And I'm like, I know, but now that it's recorded, you can see how this actually went down. Yeah. It's it's an important learning tool. For sure. And I think the one thing that I've heard you talk about a lot in your teaching and just on different shows is, you know, when we are going through tough times and one of the habit loops we have to break is our emotional response, right? And the emotional response, like during times that are hard and it becomes addicting, right? To get emotional anger and drama. I was reading actually not too long ago has the same addiction, addictive capabilities as like opiates. And right. So, and I know you, you have a, a process in which you can kind of switch from the emotional response to more logical and leading more intuitively, which as far as problem solving, it's like a must do. You can't solve problems from your emotionally. It's just, it's next to impossible. No. And unfortunately that's how most people choose to solve problems. And that's also how this kind of like new agey hippie heart centered therapy tends to really lean into it. It's like, well, I'm feeling in most cases, and I'm not trying to be harsh here because your feelings do matter. Let's put the, your feelings do matter over here on the percent. Now let's get over here. When you're engaged, let's say in a fight with your intimate partner, in a lot of ways, how you're feeling about the communication is actually deeply ingrained in the chaotic pattern that you've already developed with your partner. And it's not necessarily an accurate logical reflection
I usually will jokingly refer to it as the God replay where it's like, if you go back to a few of these interactions and you were to be like, all right, pause button, (laughs) you go up and you look at the interaction, like God replay, did that shit really happen the way that I just played that out in my head? Usually the answer is no, but our feelings convince us, right? That kind of emotional response coursing through our body when we're feeling rejected or like they're going to abandon us while we're fighting makes you read into something or hear something in a way that they didn't actually mean, right? So you're kind of painting all these other contextual nuanced layers over it so that you're really engaging something with feelings that isn't really objectively happening. So I find that trying to lead with feelings to make decisions, especially about your body language and behavior and choices and assumptions, or especially big long-term decisions, doing that led by feelings is a colossal mistake. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to have room to authentically feel and be vulnerable about what's going on in your life or to express authentic, vulnerable feelings to a partner. But the time to do that's not in the middle of a fight. When you're actually in conflict with somebody, that's not the time to lead with your feelings. The best way to resolve that is going to be to lead with logic. We refer to that in Break as Eli. So we teach a protocol that we refer to called as Eli that teaches you how to interrupt your emotional response system with logic. And it's going to be very specific to that person because every person's emotional response triggers are very individualized. So we get clear on what that is, not just internally in your head, but how all of that plays out in your environment. So for example, I had a client and this is, I'll try to tell like the very condensed version, but um, grew up tons of trauma and sexual abuse from early childhood and grew up in a house that was like hanging on by a thread, like needed to be torn down and just constantly was dealing with this trauma and sexual abuse while trying to still have a life at school and was always just so embarrassed about her house. Right. So fast forward to adulthood, this person's married with kids, has like found a way to, you know, through adversity, become very successful despite all of that, took a lot of pride in buying a house and really puts a lot of stock in this house looking a certain way, right? So as we start to dig in, it becomes clear that she's telling me that her trigger is just her husband. I'm like, okay, I don't think it's just your husband. Let's dig deeper. And as we continue to dig deeper, She's like, well, actually, I already start to feel anxiety when I look at the clock when I know that he's going to come home. But none of the actual triggers matched per se with the husband directly because their relationship was great. Long story short, it turns out this particular husband, one of her biggest issues of conflict with him was that he would say he was going to fix certain things in the house and then he wouldn't fix them. So instead of it being my husband is the trigger, his lack of follow through around doing things to take care of her house, which in her mind was equated to her entire like overcoming adversity and having a place she could be proud of, not really, and she wasn't even really aware of this. Every time he would say he would fix something and then wouldn't fix it, it was basically her entire foundation being shaken. So when we look at triggers, it's really tempting for the brain to be like, oh, that person's triggering me or, you know, that type of paying bills triggers me, but it's not usually that simple. There's usually a lot of other dominoes that are involved in it. So we do a really deep dive on making sure we understand every single thing about the nuance of the triggering environment so that that helps us decide exactly what questions we need to interrupt 
that process because the questions have to match the exact input, right? Everything in break method is input output. And if the exact individualized correct input, our output's going to be a shot in the dark, which we don't obviously do. So once you've properly interrupted that emotional response system with logic, usually by that point, you've actually stopped the flow of neurotransmitters. So you're actually thinking clearly and you've actually just averted that disaster. Then we teach you how to actually tap into intuition and balance out what is presently happening in the environment right now that I'm experiencing with all of my senses and how am I going to balance both logic and intuition to make a final decision. Yeah. And you're so right on. And I think even in my own experience, what I've learned is, you know, anytime your reaction is disproportionate to what actually happened, it's you're being triggered. It's not like that event. Right. And I think like being able to step back, step out of the conversation and being like, look, you know, what I've noticed is that I have a massive fear of abandonment because of X, Y, and Z, you know, and when you, instead of like just trying to attack whoever you're trying to attack and then making that situation even worse because you're responding with emotion and not like taking a step back and logically being like, okay, like where'd this come from? You know, what role do I have in this? How can I take responsibility? Because otherwise, if you just start blaming the other person or you blame an event, you, you get, you stay stuck in that victim trap and you know, you just don't ever take responsibility for changing the behavior because one of the things that I think is missing, which I, I love what you're doing, is that the work really begins like in situations. It's easy to journal. It's easy to write things down. But when it's really you know, put to the test is when you're actually in these moments. And that's how you recreate these different habits because now you're engaging in similar situations with a different approach. And that's how your brain will recognize like, oh, like when I acted this way, it didn't cause a fight. When I acted this way, I felt a lot better about myself and the way I handled it the next day or whatever. And then your brain will recognize that and you'll start to change. I mean, am I right? Yeah. You bring up a great point. A lot of, I go back to kind of this whole cancer, cancel culture triggering sort of environment that we now live in, especially in 2020. You can't rewire emotional responses that you're not intentionally triggering. If you're constantly avoiding or calling safe space and not wanting to ever be triggered and just going into avoidance or, you know, I see this on Instagram all the time. People are like cutting toxic people out of my life. Well, it's like, okay, how do you know that that's the toxic person and that you guys aren't just involved in a toxic cycle, right? Often it's not just that there's a toxic person in the relationship. You guys are both involved in toxicity to some degree. So you might cut them out, but then you're going to invite the same type of person into your life shortly afterward. So it's important to remember that we can't run or hide or avoid our triggering environments. We will never grow that way. We will never rewire our emotional responses and we'll never, we'll never actually be able to repattern ourselves to exist in the world without being triggered. So if you genuinely want to stop being triggered so damn much, you need to create a very solid action plan and structure with which to rapidly trigger yourself with an action plan so that you can actually rewire everything. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything that you've said in this whole episode and especially what you just said, like having a plan, having goals to I know something that's you, what you talk about is if importance is having goals for, you know, your life, having goals for relationships, having goals for um, everything else you're doing. And, and making sure because this is another huge part of it. Most people's goal setting 
right now is also patterned with their faulty source beliefs. So even goal setting until you've rewired yourself is going to be basically compromised because you're going to be only thinking of goals in the context of how you've already been patterned. So we usually have people then start setting goals after they've already rewired their responses because then they realize that their previous patterning limited or skewed what they thought they were capable of in a pretty drastic way. Right. Yeah. I know. I agree. I think because then you're just you're just putting a bandaid on it, right? You're not really getting to the root of the problem and addressing it from like a authentic and, and intuitive approach. But the one thing I wanted to bring up, and this I think is a big problem in today's society, is you talk about present versus preparedness, and I'm all for. I, I think like you know, living in the moment, being thankful for what you have in front of you, 100%. Let's like set that aside. I also know that's not an excuse not to have goals and not to plan ahead. Because I also believe that a lot of our self-sabotage, I know you love talking about self-sabotage, comes from not following through on the things that we've said we're doing. And if we're not setting intentions on doing anything, then we're automatically going to feel shame because we're going to look at other people, we're going to look at ourselves and think, wow, I should be a lot further along. And I love your analogy. I use this, it's funny, I use this a lot that like, you know, it's like a GPS, right? So if, if you imagine if you're just in a car and you have no destination, you're driving around, driving around, no destination, you're gonna run out of gas eventually. And you're gonna be tired, you're gonna be burned out, you're gonna be lost. You're gonna get road rage. Right. But if you have a destination and you know where you're going, you know, you're going to be able to find where you're, you know, where you're gonna end up. And then, of course, there's gonna be roadblocks. Of course, there's going to be times where you detour, but you have that destination still in mind where you're able to continue to navigate through that. So, talk a bit about like, preparedness versus you know being present in the moment and how it it kind of has to be i mean not necessarily a balance but why you kind of have to have both to kind of succeed so i'm a firm believer in preparedness that's one of the major things that we do in break method and in general i think this again kind of going back to this new kind of social cultural thing that we're in where it's like go with the flow be in the moment Yes, and, right? Of course, you want to be able to be present and be in the moment, right? Which to do that, you've got to be able to rewire your fear patterning that keeps you projecting out into the future about everything that could go wrong while simultaneously pulling all the information from your past to be resentful about where you're at or who you're interacting with right now, right? Of course, that's true. You want to be present. But I think there's not enough time actually spent being prepared for the future, right? That doesn't, that's not the same thing as worrying or being anxious or like I said, kind of that future projection, the constant like, what if, what if, what if. But one of the things I I make my clients do in unit three of the course is get really clear on, okay, if these are all the things that you want to do and these are all the new behaviors that we want to instill in our relationships, or these are all the new ways that you want to try to adapt your body language in this relationship, what are the potential outcomes? What are all the different ways that your partner could react? Knowing that it's not necessarily, we can't control another person. So while we hope that this is going to disrupt your partner into a positive cycle, what if they get pissed? What if they're like, fuck you, you're different now, I'm going to go cheat on you, right? What are the different outcomes that could happen? So I actually make people map these out so that we can already come up with workaround strategies before they even kind of like go onto the battlefield of truly rewiring. So preparedness is important. It's important for people to remember that preparedness and worry or anxiety are not the same thing. Mm. One is having a plan and being realistic with yourself about having an expectation, but making sure those expectations are realistic and measurable so that you're not just constantly feeling like you're failing or other people are letting you down. 
Because again, with everything, having a container is going to allow us so much more freedom and to be present if we know what that container is. Like you said, I'm starting here and I'm going here. When you use the GPS analogy, if you have your GPS plugged in and all of a sudden there's a car accident, it's going to reroute you. You can go left or you can go right. And it's like, okay, well, because I know that this is where I'm going, I now have to weigh out left or right. But if you don't have any of that information calculated, you end up just spinning your wheels. And usually that's when anxiety gets even worse because your brain is trying to keep you safe and your brain is going to equate safety to some degree with knowing what step to take next. So if you map that out without becoming obsessive about it, right, that's not what I'm telling you to do. But if you have a general lay of the land for where you want to go and what might potentially go wrong so that you don't have to think on the fly about how to pivot, you're going to have a lot of success. Yeah. And I, I think anxiety comes a lot from lack of action and lack of really moving in the right direction because now you're creating uncertainty and worry because you don't really know where you're going, right? Because that create, you know, being discombobulated can create a lot of excessive fear and worry too, because you haven't set out a plan and you haven't, you're not being held accountable. And I think the biggest way to kind of get through fear and get through anxiety is kind of head on by, by massive action. And it doesn't need to say that like you need to like burn yourself out. But I heard a lot of people say like, wow, like during the quarantine, like I got like a vacation, like like vacation. I'm like, do you still have bills to pay? Do you still like, no, like, like this is the ultimate time to pivot and show yourself what you're capable of during like the utmost time of adversity so that then in the future you can have the confidence and the ability to know you can get through anything. And that's what I love about adversity. That's what I love about when your back's against the wall. I mean, I've had my back against the wall most of my life and it seems like you have as well. Like let's freaking go, like show me what I can't do. And I love what you've created, not only with obviously booty yoga, but with the break method. And I would love for you to be able to tell the audience like more about like where they can find out more information about you, the method itself, if they want to kind of give it a try and, and maybe, you know, maybe if this like resonated with them. Yeah. So I'm happy to give your listeners a discount code. We can ask Joe to create that. Our next, so we do break method in semesters. It runs four times a year. We also have smaller mini courses. So if you just wanted to kind of try it out before you try the full semester, you can do that as well. You can go to breakmethod.com. And we also have a, a de- definitely engaging and pretty funny Instagram account at break method. One of my friends, Adrian, runs that. And we do Tough Love Tuesdays, which is kind of all funny, triggering mental health memes. So if you like to laugh while also learning about your deep-seated issues, that would be a good one to check out. So the course runs four times a year. Our next course will open for registration the next next week, and then it will close on August 5th. So if you're looking to start in that kind of like beginning of um, fall time, that would be that session. Then the next one will start in January. It's a four-month online course. Everything's broken into those highly structured units. It includes over 200 hours of lecture content with me, lots of live Q&As. You'll also be broken up into small groups. You have six small group sessions where you work directly with the facilitator. And there's tons of information about the course on the website, testimonials and reviews. I think at this point, we probably had just over 2,500 students graduate the course. The results are amazing. Um, I also teach it in the prison system. We didn't really talk about that, but I got the opportunity to start teaching it in the prison system last year. 
And once all this COVID nonsense is through, hopefully I'll be able to go back to continue to teach that in the prison because it worked incredibly well in a two-day intensive format. The results were pretty wild. Yeah, so, I think that's, I mean, wow. You know, congrats to you for doing that. I mean, I know that's that's where a lot a lot is obviously needed there for to be able to rewire emotions, rewire habits, rewire the thinking patterns. And I think anytime time 